How are you doing this morning? I think if we were all honest this morning, there would be a variety of different answers. Some of you would say, I'm great. Holiday weekend, don't have to work tomorrow, mowed the lawn, got the grill ready, doing great. Some of you this morning would be like, meh, it's kind of going on day by day. Kids are a little rambunctious, trying to pay some bills. Others of you might say, Ugh, not doing well at all. Just got this chronic pain, got this chronic issue with family, so we can't go join them on July 4th. If we were honest, we'd all be all over the map. Some of you came this morning, you're feeling really good. You're feeling pretty significant this morning. I got it together. Some of you are coming this morning thinking, I feel pretty successful today. Things are going pretty well. Yet not everyone is feeling significant and successful. And even those of you this morning that are kind of saying, yeah, I'm significant and successful, you know that that doesn't last very long. That there's high moments and there's low moments. This morning we have some words from Jesus. A simple statement, actually. But a simple statement that really changes everything no matter what your circumstances are this morning. A teaching from Jesus that reminds us whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley, we actually should be in a similar position. That similar position, according to Jesus, is joy. Jesus makes a simple statement to his followers. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of heaven. Now Jesus' followers are coming to him after a pretty good week, or however long they were out. Jesus' followers, 72 of them, were sent out to do work, church work basically, to go out and proclaim the good news. We'll get to that in a little bit. But they had a successful trip. They saw some cool stuff happen, stuff that you'd find pretty crazy. They saw some stuff happen that if I started preaching about, you'd be like, hey, pastor, it's getting a little weird around here. I mean, they saw spirits starting to fall. And they come back and like, Jesus, this is crazy. We had all this power. And so they're celebrating. They're feeling good because up to this point, Jesus had been the one doing this work. Up to this point, Jesus had been the one going village to village, town to town. And as Jesus was doing the work, there were crowds gathering. Why? Not because Jesus was in town, because Jesus was unknown because a miracle man was in town. Because someone that they heard reports about who had power over leprosy, had power over demons, was in town. And so their followers were like, man, Jesus is a big deal, doing a lot of cool stuff. Well, now the 72 are what? Doing the exact same thing. And so they're, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. I think you would too, right? Oh, Jesus. I just went to that village and, Jesus, I don't really think you're needed anymore. Everything that you did when you were there happened when I was there. They're feeling pretty good, and rightfully so. They saw the kingdom of God do some good stuff. But Jesus gives them a, a gentle but firm reminder. Hey, you've got all this authority, but guess what? Don't rejoice in the success of your ministry. Don't rejoice in the power that you've been given in the name of Jesus. Makes it very clear. Don't rejoice in that. Luke 10, 20 there. He says, nevertheless, rejoice 
that your names are written in the book of heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, whether you come back from a successful ministry trip or you come back from a failure, guess what? You should rejoice. Why? Because your names are written in the book of heaven. This morning, whether you answer the question, how are you, bad or good, whether you look at your present circumstances, Jesus would say to you and I this morning, he says it right here in his word, rejoice, for your names are written in the book of heaven. Joy is serious business when it comes to the Bible. Jesus is in the joy business. This is not just some little sentence that Jesus gets caught saying at some point about, yeah, it's okay to be happy. It's okay to have this state of gladness. No, no, Jesus is in the joy business. It's okay to want to be joyful. There's plenty of things that Jesus says, hey, don't want that. It's okay to wake up in the morning and say, I want to rejoice today. That's a good thing. And I would contend that everybody here this morning woke up wanting that. So Jesus is in the joy business. I want to give you just a quick overview of the Bible. Really quick, we're going to look at some different verses so that you can see the theme, the consistency of the Bible. It starts in Psalm 16. Psalm 16, just turn with me there. We're going to move quickly and fast, but it's important for you to see the unity and the consistency. Psalm 16. Come to the end of that psalm. The psalmist in Psalm 16 is basically saying very simply, God, I'm thankful for what you have given me. And no matter if my bones are wasting away, God, I've got this promise that's set before me. What's the promise? Psalm 16, look it down with 9 verse 11, verses 9 through 11. Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist is just, just declaring back to God the promise of God, of saying, hey God, I, I'm able right now to rest securely because I know that you're in the joy business. God, I know that forevermore, what is there? Pleasures at your right hand. In other words, the psalmist is saying, I've got an eternity of joy ahead. That's good news. That's great news. That's actually better than any other news you can possibly hear this morning, is that there's an eternity of joy promised from God himself, because in the presence of God, there is what? The fullness of joy, because God's in the joy business. Now go on with me. Let's look ahead to Jesus. Look at Jesus, John chapter 17. John chapter 17. This is a pinnacle of Jesus' ministry. He's coming to the end. So in John 17, he's given what's recorded for us as one of his final prayers. So in John 17, he's, he's spending time with God the Father, kind of laying it all out on the line. You could look at this and saying, this is the heart of Jesus. This is what Jesus wants. John 17, verse 13. Jesus says to the Father, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Okay, that's awesome. Good stuff. Jesus is basically saying, hey, I want my followers to have my joy in their life. Again, Jesus isn't saying, eh, I just hope they're grumps all the time. 
No, he wants us to have his joy. Why? Jesus is in the joy business. And it makes sense when you begin to understand that in the presence of God, there is the fullness of joy, that Jesus would ask for us to have his joy in our lives. Why? Because Jesus wants us to be in the presence of God. And if Jesus wants us to be in the presence of God, Jesus knows what? That's where there's the fullness of joy. Let's keep looking here a little bit more. Philippians. Turn to Philippians. You can just read this as the book of joy. Philippians chapter 4. In the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Okay, this is not a description of Paul. This is a command. This is God's command to you this morning. God is saying to us right here through the Apostle Paul, rejoice. Why? God's in the joy business. Because in the presence of God, there's the fullness of joy. Rejoice isn't just something like, well, if you can have joy, that's okay. No, no, that's a, that's a must. That's a, you have to have it. God wants you to what? Do it. Joy isn't just a little outcome that comes as a result of stuff. No, joy is a constant, deliberate decision. That's why it's a command. Rejoice. Have joy in your life. We could look at a variety of other places. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, about verse 17, I believe it's again, it says, Be joyful always. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, turn with me there. If you're not convinced yet that Jesus is in the joy business, go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we have the following kind of description here. Verse 2, it's pointing to Jesus, saying, hey, hey, look at the person of Jesus Christ as, as your example who's done everything for you. Hebrews 12, 2, it says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. If you have a pen with you, underline circle for the joy. You maybe have never thought about this before this way, and you might think, well, Pastor, you're out on prosperity gospel limb here. Okay, this is not prosperity gospel. This is joy gospel. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Well, Pastor, he loves me. That's why he went to the cross. Okay, there, there's some truth to that. But what does it say right here in God's word of why he went to the cross and endured the cross? For the joy that was set before him. You might well, that's kind of selfish. Jesus is in the joy business. And he knew that he had to endure the cross for him to be returned to a state of constant joy and for you and I to have the opportunity to be in a constant state of joy. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of the Lord for it. Jesus is in the joy business. And Jesus wants you and I this morning to rejoice no matter what our circumstances are today. Why? Why can you and I rejoice no matter what our circumstances are? Jesus would say, because your names are written in the book of heaven. Nothing in your present circumstance can touch that. Nothing. No government, no robber, no illness, nothing can touch the book of heaven. Therefore, your joy is secure. Well, why can't we be joyful then? 
Three things this morning I want to reflect on for just a moment of what's robbing us of our joy. There's three things that are robbing of us of our joy. You could call them three traps. The first trap that you and I fall into often is the comparison trap. This is a big one. The grass is always greener on the other side. You and I, we live in an interesting situation. You and I, almost everybody in this room, for the most part, I would guess, is we are in the top 5% of wealth in the world. Top 5% of wealth in the world. I'm not just making stuff up here. That is fact truth. (laughs) If we're in the top 5% of the wealth of the world, (laughs) what in the world? Why are we so grumpy all the time? Why do we have so many fights all the time? It's because we live in an interesting situation where we're constantly surrounded by people that have more than us and have less than us. So we can always look to someone and we can always say, well, they're a faithful Christian and they, they've got three cars, so there's nothing wrong with it, so we should be able to have three cars. And so it becomes automatic then to be able to want that and you can justify being in that position. We're constantly in the comparison trap. And along with that, then the comparison also works this way. Something bad happens to us. There's always someone out there that something worse has happened to them or something less worse has happened to them. Again, it puts us in this weird position of judging grief in people's lives. But that comparison, then what? It stymies, stifles our joy. We're constantly comparing ourselves to other in wealth, in suffering, all sorts of different stuff. Guess what? Your neighbor's not the standard. That faithful Christian that's living next door to you, what they have or what they don't have, that's not the standard. The standard is Jesus Christ. This last week I was having lunch with with one people from our church, and as we were talking about it, we were talking about issues here at King of Glory and talking about different things, and one of the things we were talking about was if you, if you compared King of Glory to other churches in the community, how would our members match up to other members and so forth like that? But then we were reminded during that conversation that guess what? The other church isn't the standard. It doesn't matter how King of Glories match up against first church of whatever down the street. Who cares if King of Glory members give 5.7% and their members give 4.8%? That doesn't mean we're doing well. Jesus is the standard. Comparison trap can give us pride. It can also then put us in this position of woe is me. Pride and woe is me. Both are deadly to joy. Comparison trap will rob us of joy every day time. The comparison trap, the second trap we fall into, and this is, you're going to be like, where is this coming from? That's the comfort trap. That's right. Your comfort is robbing you of joy. (laughs) What? That makes no sense. Your comfort is robbing you of joy. Follow with me on this. The teaching of the Bible that we just went through very quickly is this. Our joy comes from the presence of God. It says in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. So our joy comes from what? Relationship with the Lord. Our comfort, what? Allows us to not have to be attached to the Lord. If I have everything I need, plus a little security, guess what? 
I don't really ever have to walk by faith. So I never really ever have to what? Completely depend upon Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is the source of joy, the presence of God, and I really don't need the presence of God for my comfort, guess what? I'm not in a place where there's joy. Now, I'm not saying to you this morning that a $1,000 rainy day is, is a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. The book of Proverbs says to be wise. It's a good idea to have $1,000 for if your water heater breaks or your radiator breaks. There's a big difference, though, between having a $1,000 rainy day fund and having thousands of dollars for a rainy day fund. A big, big difference, according to the Scriptures. Now you're saying, well, I don't don't have either either of those. Well, we still find our comfort where? In our positions or in our relationships here in this place, in this world. So a lot of us find our comfort from a relationship with someone else. That person is the source of our comfort. As long as that person is with me, what? I've got comfort, I don't need Jesus. Therefore, I don't have joy. Comfort is deadly. I would really challenge you on this because I know some of you are really uncomfortable with what I'm saying right now. Come back to me. In the New Testament, after the life of Jesus Christ, where Jesus encourages comfort. Come back, find it, where Jesus encourages comfort. This last week, I spent an evening, this the other night, and again, I'm not the standard on this. The other night, I spent an evening about 10, 15, walking downtown Sioux Falls by uh, Munchie's little gas station down there. For those of you familiar with Sioux Falls, you're probably aware Munchies is in the news a lot. Munchies and Lucky Lady, you could say they're probably the most dangerous place in the city. I thought, you know, hey, got to go there. Buy a Mountain Dew, see who's down there, da-da-da-da-da, whatever. Just walk around a little bit. You don't want to know, you want to know why it's the most dangerous place in the city? Because there's no followers of Jesus there. Because no one's willing to go there because it's dangerous. Again, I'm not elevating myself here. There's others who have led the way before. There's no consistent presence of light. Where would Jesus have us go? Where would Jesus have us go? I challenge you on this. I'm not going to answer it for you. Where would Jesus have us go? Where would Jesus have your kids go? Who would Jesus have you reach out to? We fall into these traps of comfort and comparison. It not only robs us of the mission of Jesus, it robs us of the joy from Jesus. The final trap that robs us of our joy is what we could label a temporary perspective. It's all about the perspective that we have. A temporary perspective is going to rob us of joy because there are circumstances that are bad. Right? I mean, there's Some of you are going through tough stuff. Difficult issues relationally, physically, financially, emotionally. Those are real life circumstances. Yet in the midst of that circumstance, God still calls us to have an eternal perspective because it's still just momentary. No matter how long it is right now, it's still just momentary. A perspective changes everything. We had some individuals over for supper this last week and they are telling us a story of when they gather for the 4th of July with family members. One of the people that comes to that 4th of July celebration for them is from a different country. And they can't listen or watch the fireworks. 
Because when they listen or watch the fireworks, they basically have a traumatic episode. Because the fireworks does not remind them of freedom. The fireworks reminds them of their family being bombed. And all it does is it triggers everything in their body, in their mind. Just a completely different perspective. A whole different way of looking, seeing, hearing fireworks. It all comes down to perspective. Do you have an eternal perspective or a temporal perspective? When you have an eternal perspective, it changes things dramatically of how you see the day-to-day here in this life. And our joy is robbed when we're stuck in the temporary. So we can experience and pursue joy when we break out of the comparison trap, when we step outside of our comfort zone, and when we have an eternal perspective. I want you to consider finishing the following sentence today. I am a consistent presence of blank. I am a consistent presence of blank. I want to encourage you in the next day or two to spend some time reflecting. If you ask those around you to finish that sentence, what would they say? You're a consistent presence of negativity. You're a consistent presence of sarcasm. You're a consistent presence of gossip. What are you a consistent presence of? God would have us be a consistent presence of joy. Rejoice always, yet I say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm a consistent presence of what? And we can be a consistent presence of that when we what? Pursue the presence of God above all else. Well, well, that's awesome. I mean, this is a great message, isn't it? Rejoice! This is great news! Notice we started at the end of the Bible passage, and I've got to make up for four weeks of being gone. We We start at the end of the passage of rejoice. There was a whole section in front of this. But there's a reason we started with the joy. It's because when we understand the joy that we have through Jesus Christ in the presence of God, that we want to go on mission. That's what this passage started about. It's part about Jesus saying to 72 people, hey, go tell other people about me. You, you know that, right? I mean, we talk about that in church all the time, right? Go tell other people about Jesus Christ. But for the most part, it falls on deaf ears, including myself. Why is that? Because we don't have it ourselves. Let's just, let's just be really frank with each other. I sell what I like. Everybody in this room does it. Oh, have you been down to Pizza Inn? Best pizza in town. I mean, sadly, not anymore. <laughs> have you been to Tomaselli's, though? It doesn't look much from the outside, but let me tell you, everybody should be there for lunch today. What do you do? You like something, you tell other people about it. It's across our lives. Ah, I mean, people even wear Minnesota Vikings shirts. What? It's like walking around saying, I like losing. That doesn't make any sense. But you're willing to do it. Why? Because you like it, you love it, you enjoy it. We tell other people what we're passionate about. So if we want to get serious about missions, we first got to get serious about Jesus. 
Because when I'm serious about Jesus, and Jesus is my joy, I've got no choice. It's an automatic outflow. And let's just spend a few moments then looking at what Jesus says here about mission. Look with me if you would here, Luke 10, just a few moments. Luke 10. It all starts by Jesus sending 72. And I can hear some of you right now, (laughs) Pastor, this is for the 72. Okay. No, 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 no. This is a big deal that it's 72. I'm going to point out two things. This 72 is beyond the original 12 disciples. So if you're saying, does this apply to us today? I want to show you it applies to us for a couple of reasons. One is this. It's beyond the original 12. Jesus has already sent out the original 12. So those that are like, hey, it's up to the 12 apostles to get things going. No, no, no. Jesus says what? We're going to the next group of people as well. It's everybody's responsibility. Second thing is 72. Why 72? 72 has got great significance for those who would read the Greek translation of the Old Testament. 72 would go back to Genesis chapter 10, and they would know that there's 72 nations, 72 people groups, generations, or it would be a description for all of the people in the world. So two ways they would have looked at this is saying, hey, Jesus wants us what? It's all people everywhere that I'm sending out. And it also would have been Jesus saying, I'm sending people to all people everywhere, every people group. This is consistent with what Luke says in Acts chapter 1. Same author wrote both books. He says what? Be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Jesus is making a big statement by the number 72. He's saying it's all people, every age, every human being, go. And it what? Goes to every people group, every human being in all time. The other reason this morning to try and convince you that this is not just in the Bible times, but this is for you and I today. You and I would not be here today if this didn't apply to us. Right? Look at your skin once. It's it's pretty simple. Your skin color, your ethnicity is not the same of the original group of followers that followed Jesus Christ. The only reason that you're here today is because a group of people said this passage of Scripture does not just apply to the original 12 or the original 72. It applies for every human generation throughout all of time. Otherwise, you and I would not know about Jesus. It never would have spread to Europe, never would have came to America, never would have gone to the ends of the earth today. So you might say, oh, yeah. I mean, how, how selfish for us to say, well, I'm glad some people said it applied to them, but it doesn't have to apply to us. If we take that attitude, there will be nobody sitting here in generations to come. It applies to us today. Now let's look at the method a little bit, really quickly. The method of Jesus' mission. Now is where it gets really scary. Okay, listen to this strategic plan of Jesus. Hey, you 72, I want you to go visit every town. Don't take anything with you at all. Let me break that down for you, what he's saying here. No knapsack, nothing. He says, Be completely dependent on other people. Be completely dependent upon other people. (laughs) This does not go over well, at least in my world of things. I like to do stuff. Be dependent upon someone else. What are we celebrating on Tuesday? Independence Day. It's a great thing. I'm not beating on that at all. However, on a personal level, Independence is not the end game. 
but dependence upon one another. This is a crazy methodology. Jesus says, hey, go out and be dependent upon other people for the work to happen. See, this can be a little uncomfortable. Sometimes, ah, you don't have the resources? Guess what? We're supposed to depend upon others for the resources. Now, it gets even a little more tricky here as we go on. Look with me, if you would, down to verse 10 and 11. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its street and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Okay, this is not just a visit town, hand out nice cups of water. You go to a town, if they receive you, you're welcomed into their home, you stay there, you tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. What does Jesus say to do if they reject you? Make it very clear to them the punishment that is coming their direction. Now this is not popular at all. Even my own heart, this just like, oh, couldn't you just erase these six verses? Look what he says here though. I tell you it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Okay, quick history lesson. Sodom and Gomorrah were towns in the Old Testament that were destroyed by God for evil that they were doing. Just basically made famous for the destruction that God brought on them. And we're not talking just a little, eh, let's just kind of hit beat them around a little bit. No, we're talking complete devastation. And Jesus is saying, the message that you have to bring to this town is that the devastation is going to be worse than it was in Sodom. Part of our responsibility on mission for Jesus Christ is to be honest. Notice what I said. Be honest. Not be yelling and screaming and mean and hellmongers, but to be honest. It is dishonest to not warn somebody about hell. How many of you would go back to a doctor who you knew had the right prescription for you but was unwilling to tell you about that prescription because it was going to cause you seven days of a little bit extra pain. <laughs> you wouldn't go back. Because the doctor's being dishonest. The doctor's not being mean. Very simply, the doctor's being dishonest and uncaring. You and I have to be honest with the world around us. That without Jesus Christ, the warning from God is complete and utter destruction for eternity. It does not sell. It does not roll off the lips nicely. But here's the coaching I want to give all of us this morning is this. Is that when we talk about the destruction and we're honest, it does not come from a position of hatred or a position of righteousness. Well, you got something coming your way, buddy. Get ready. It comes from a merciful, loving, pleading heart that says, I don't want this person to experience destruction. I get no joy when I know that someone experiences and is headed for that destruction. So we go in mercifully pleading and being honest. So Jesus' methodology is to go out and be dependent to go out and not have ties to this world, but to be dependent so that what? It's all about Jesus. Jesus' methodology is to be honest. Think of the extremes in this Bible passage. The extremes are this. On one hand, Jesus is saying what? 
you're going to burn in hell, and it's going to be horrible. I'm not exaggerating. You're going to burn in hell, and it's going to be horrible. The other extreme he's saying is this. Rejoice! Your names are in the book of heaven. It's because there are those extremes of pure joy for eternity and pure destruction in being separated from God for eternity. Today, we're being invited on mission to go in the name of Jesus Christ. We haven't even gotten into the crazy stuff of all that Satan and weird demon stuff, right? Why is it important to recognize that? It reminds us that the battle is not against the flesh and the blood. The battle is against someone who has power and authority outside of our understanding. Our battle's against Satan. Our battle's not against that individual or that person. That person doesn't understand it and know it, and sometimes it's best not even trying to explain it because it just gets all over the place. But we have to go in with the perspective knowing what? It's going to be tough. We've got our hands full here. Satan is busy. But you and I have a responsibility. But more than a responsibility, if we've truly understood the message, we have an opportunity because of the joy that we have from having our names written in the book of heaven. Sadly, this morning, most of us have taken an easy mindset when it comes to mission. It's kind of like the mindset I used to have for brushing my teeth before I got married. Can we have a quick agreement? My wife's not here this morning. Raise your hand if you're willing to not let anything I say in the next three minutes leave this room. Okay, we got general agreement. When I first got married, it's like brushing your teeth was like, this is how bad I was. It's like 15 seconds. I left the water running while I was brushing my teeth. That's how fast it was. Well, I probably have more, ca- I'll put my cavities up against anybody's cavities in this room. I get married and all of a sudden my wife's like, 30-minute toothbrushing exercise. I'm like, what's going on here? We're, you just lost 29 minutes of productivity. This is absurd. But when you look at the records, they're not even comparable. Again, don't encourage her on this front. But when you look at the records, no cavities. And man, that is nice to the checkbook. Versus, well, I'm not even going to get into it. You know what the difference is? Taking the time and putting in the effort. Too many of us have treated the mission of Jesus Christ like I've treated my teeth brushing. Very little effort and expecting amazing results. Can you imagine when Jesus sends the people out and says, take nothing with you and be prepared. You're going to get kicked out of a house. You're going to get kicked out of a town. This was not just, eh, throw a couple bucks in the plate and we hope that so-and-so does a nice job of telling others about Jesus. No, this was all in. Why? Because of what's at stake. What's at stake is the book of heaven. What's at stake is eternal joy in the presence of God. And so today, no matter what circumstance you came in today experiencing, hear this. That God cares about your circumstance. God wants to walk alongside of you through your circumstance. But God may not fix your circumstance. But hear this. Your circumstance is temporary. 
because God has fixed your eternity. Your circumstance is temporary because God has fixed your eternity. Because in Jesus Christ, your name is written in the book of heaven. Therefore, today, you and I, we rejoice. We celebrate. We be a constant presence of joy at Munchie's Snack Shop right here in Sioux Falls. We're a constant presence of joy at that uncle's house who we just want to avoid on the 4th of July. We're a constant presence of joy in our schools, our workplaces, in our neighborhoods because Jesus Christ has written our names in the book of heaven. And when we rejoice because our names are written in the book of heaven, we will go out and invite others to that same joy and to hear that word from Jesus. Your name is written in the book of heaven. Thanks be to God that today we rejoice, not because of anything we've done, but we rejoice because God, through Jesus Christ, has put us in the book of heaven. Let us pray. Gracious and everlasting God, thank you. We praise you this morning, Lord. We rejoice with the saints through all of the ages. We rejoice with the saints that are all around the globe this morning. We are celebrating you this morning, God. And God, we ask now in the name of Jesus that you would embolden us with your, same, with your spirit, the same spirit that you poured out upon those original followers to go forth. We pray that you'd pour out upon us. Lord, give us power in your name to proclaim your name. And so now I ask God, that for anyone that's in the midst of a difficult circumstance right now, that you would elevate their perspective, that you'd give them an eternal vision of the joy they have in your presence forevermore. So God, we ask that you would use us this next week to be a constant presence of joy in people's lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.